Hi, my name is Roberta Jones, and I look at the past to see into the future. In today's episode, we are going to explore the history and legends of a peculiar cave deep down under the Roman Forum, called the Lupercale. Discovered in 2007 by Italian archaeologist Irene Jacopi underneath the house of Augustus on the Palatine Hill, the cave is situated 15 meters underground and it's encrusted with wonderful seashells, mosaics and pumice stones. Unfortunately, we haven't managed to see all this beauty with bare eyes since no one has set foot inside the cave for at least a thousand years. The cave was discovered, in fact, with a camera that travelled deep down underground through a small hole and archaeologists are still looking for the original entrance. The origins and the function of the cave is a matter of ongoing debate among archaeologists. However, according to Irene, the archaeologist who discovered the cave, it is the Lupercale, the home of ancient rituals and the legendary cave where Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome, were suckled by a she-wolf known as La Lupa. But who were Romulus and Remus exactly? According to the legend, Romulus and Remus were the sons of Rea Silvia, the princess of Alba Longa, one of the ancient Latin cities near the future site of Rome. Poor Rea Silvia was forced to become a priestess and an eternal virgin by her evil uncle Amulius, who had usurped the throne of his brother Numitor and wanted to make sure that rare Silvia could not conceive any heirs that would put his throne in danger. But surprise, surprise! To Amulius's anger and dismay, one day rare Silvia discovers to be pregnant. How? Divine intervention. Common sources state that it was the god Mars who paid her a visit in a sacred grove. Although the legend of how Romulus and Remus were conceived has many different versions, some more embarrassing than others, such as the one passed on by Plutarch in his life of Romulus. The story goes that King Tarchezio of Albalonga, another cruel man, witnessed the amazing phenomenon of a gigantic male member coming down through the chimney and hovering around the house like a ghost. The Etruscan soothsayers clarified that it is the spirit of the great Mars, who, irritated with the king, wants to generate a successor. To satisfy the angry god, the king would have to provide him with a virgin. Tarchezio then orders his daughter to satisfy that thing that continues to flutter around the room but the daughter, understandably, refuses. So a poor slave, who is not allowed to refuse, is called to replace her. These are the not very honourable events that lead, nine months after the surreal encounter, to the birth of two children. So as not to run any risks, the evil king orders the babies to be killed. Abandoned in a basket on the banks of the River Tiber, The twins are saved by a she-wolf who suckles them inside a cave, thought to be 
the Lupercale. Eventually, they would take revenge on their uncle and one of the brothers, Romulus, would found Rome and become king of the city. It is in fact the Lupa, the she-wolf, that gave the name to the legendary cave. The Lupercale, or in English the Lupercal Cave, later became a sanctuary in which worshippers venerated the Roman god of fertility, Lupercus. The rituals in honour of Lupercus, called the Lupercalia, took place every year on the 15th of February. The festival began at the cave with the sacrifice of one or more male goats and a dog. The sacrifices were performed by a group of Roman priests called the Luperci. After the sacrifice, the foreheads of two novice naked Luperci were smeared with the goat's blood using the bloody sacrificial knife. The blood was then removed with a piece of milk-soaked wool and the Luperci laughed. Now, yes, I agree you might be thinking, this makes no sense. However, this ceremony has been interpreted as an act of ritual of death and rebirth, in which the marking with the bloody knife represents the death of the previous profane condition, while the cleansing with milk and laughter represent the rebirth to the new priestly condition. After the ritual sacrifice, the Luperci would continue the fertility rite by cutting the skins of the sacrificed goats into pieces. Some of these would be used to cover parts of their bodies so as to imitate their god Lupercus, who was represented as half-naked and half-covered with goat skin. The rest of the goat's skin was cut into straps and was used as a whip called the Februa. The Luperci would then run around the Palatine Hill, whipping any woman within proximity with the Februa. Although this might sound very violent, and frankly quite sexist, women welcomed the ritual and stretched out their hands and offered their bellies to the whip to obtain fertility. It is uncertain when the Lupercalia festival began, but it is sure that before this ritual, and before Rome was even founded, the Italic population that lived in the area was matriarchal and worshipped the she-wolf goddess known as La Lupa, a kind of primeval deity associated with the great mother nature, whose priestesses were also called Le Lupe. These priestesses were very different from their pure and untouchable virgin counterparts. On the contrary, they were also known as the sacred prostitutes. They would, in fact, offer their bodies with the intent of evoking a sort of hierogamy from Yeros, sacred, and Gamos, marriage. A sacred marriage. A fertility rite that was meant to symbolize the union of humanity with nature. These priestesses were often maidens from good families or slaves who joined the visitors and pilgrims at the temple. Women who practiced sacred prostitution, whether temporary or permanent, were held in high esteem, being to all intents and purposes the link between man and divinity. The activity of the temple had above all the cultural and ritual function of liberating the forces of sex. 
in order to ensure the fertility of the earth and the procreative abilities of human beings and animals. In addition to the strong religious implications, the ritual was also based on a not secondary aspect, the economic one, since sacred prostitution was an extraordinary source of wealth for the sanctuaries where it was practiced. It is interesting to bear in mind that Plutarch recalls how the Latins called Lupe both the female wolves and the women who were prostitutes. With the decline of these ancient cults, the name Lupe was transferred from the priestesses of the goddess Lupa to common prostitutes. Hence, the name in Italian, Lupanare, referring to places of pleasure. It is maybe then possible that the famous Lupa, who found and nurtured Romulus and Remus, commonly known as a she-wolf, might have been a prostitute, or even a sacred prostitute. After all, among the Romans lived the myth of Achillerentia, a semi-divine figure inherited from the Etruscans as a prostitute protector of the humble people. And according to a version quoted by Lactantius, Achillerentia is the wife of the shepherd Faustulus, who rescued the twins Romulus and Remus and is called La Lupa, a she-wolf. Now, my aim in telling this story is not to come to the conclusion that in the legend Romulus and Remus weren't nurtured by a wolf but by a prostitute, or that sacred prostitution was right or wrong. But looking at the past with the intent of envisaging a better future, we can definitely say that at the origins of the Roman population, and even before amongst the Italic population, the society wasn't based on the exploitation of nature but on a reciprocal interchange, an osmotic union with it. Nature wasn't seen as something to take advantage of, but on the contrary, it was conceived as a super-organism with which to merge, and the role of sacred prostitution was precisely to richly promote this union. <laughs>